It's mm. the country, it's the cultural shift that I wanted from suburbia. It's not a language difference in terms of living in Europe, but it is a difference. This is not the me that I grew up with or had a family with or built a business with. Mm. This, you know, that was a very secure suburban environment that I could manage mm -hmm. really well because I was used to it and I wanted something novel and I am now managing that feeling of now what like where's the nearest grocery store or you know how do I find a dance class hello you are listening to the late bloomer living podcast where we are reimagining and redefining what it means to be in midlife where we are gathering energy, momentum, and excitement for our next chapter via candid conversations with other midlifers about their own pivots, pitfalls, and triumphs. I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. My guest today is Eileen Sinet, a leadership communication specialist and speech and presentation coach who facilitates workshops to help professional leaders and knowledge experts up their presentation game. She's also written a book titled Speaking That Connects. Eileen is 71 years old and recently sold her marital home many years after the actual end of her marriage. She's hoping to travel and do a little personal exploration and she's not by any means retired but after many years of carrying a load of responsibility She's finally taking time to get to know herself and pursue new adventures. I can't wait for you to meet her. But before we do, I'm wondering if you might have a project on the back burner or maybe you're itching for a new career or thinking about finally getting in shape or finally wanting to learn a new language, can't seem to make yourself take the steps to make it happen. I created a free guide for you designed to help you start taking the steps towards your next act. It's a workbook called Five Steps to Your Midlife Reboot. You can sign up to receive it as an email series with some ideas and practical exercises you can use over the course of several weeks to get past feeling stuck. You can do these at your own pace as they'll be waiting for you in your inbox when you're ready for the next step. I'll remind you at the end of the episode and tell you where to sign up if you're interested. All right, without further ado, here's Eileen Sinet. Hey, Eileen. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Yvonne. This is so great. It's great to have you. So I always like to say where I met people and you and I met in Remote Daily, which is just one of my favorite communities near and dear to my heart. For anybody who hasn't heard me talk about it on the podcast before, it's a Zoom talk show that is live streamed to LinkedIn and YouTube, I believe as well. And they've interviewed amazing people. Like I'm going to throw out a couple of big names just because, but Mark Cuban and Michelle Thaller from NASA are two of the big names that immediately come to mind. So that's how we met. And after getting to know you better, and then you kind of dropping a bomb on us one day and telling us I'm selling my home and I'm, I don't know where I'm going and I'm going to figure it out. And that was the first thing that made me go, oh, 
Oh, that's so interesting. Cause so how old are you? If you don't mind? No, I'm 71. 71. And I love that, that there's that sense of adventure that you stepped into that and you're like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to, I'm going to do this and it's all going to, it's going to be what it is. Right. I think it's a really long time coming latent, but desired moment to have that adventure because I feel adventuresome, but I don't act adventuresome. I might be proactively adventure-like in my business, but in my personal life, I really feel safe and secure with someone leading. And Mm. that's not the case as a solo, single female in her 70s. There's a lot of alliteration for you. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a long time coming. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I love that. And I love the distinction between when you said you you don't feel like you've been adventurous. I was like, well, you've had this career where you have definitely taken chances. Absolutely. You know? I, I kind of feel like I had to, and there are influences in my, say, early family life that propelled that. But, you know, being an achiever, that leads to like stick to itness and keep on trucking and make things happen because you can't fail. You know, in my family, you don't fail. So it's, you know, it's a thrust to produce and to create. You know, it's not just just... something really interesting. If you don't mind, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt because you said in my family, you can't fail. So, so when you first said can't fail, I thought you meant you can't fail because whatever it is, you're going to win in the end. Right. But then I hear in my family, you can't fail. Can you, can you clarify that? Yeah. I, as I think I mentioned, I'm the oldest of seven children. And so I have to set an example and help others. And my father was probably because he was the last born and kind of the runt of the litter. He was a very aggressive, his whole family was aggressive, jock oriented, you know, very sport conscious. And he was a serial entrepreneur. I mean, he just created and created and created financial success in a very working class way with no formal education. He was a can do anything kind of person. And that's how people knew him. Kind of, I osmotically received that message that that is what you do. You know, you work hard and things happen. You know, his point of view was if you spend less than you make, you'll be a success. It's simplicity for him. Mm. And I think it's interesting that the three females in the family became entrepreneurs and the four men didn't right away. Two of them are now, but that is really interesting. So let's back up a little bit. So you started off as a speech pathologist, right? Yes. Emerson College in Boston. uh, Great small school with oratory and acting and broadcasting focus and speech pathology. And that specialization, I think, was really critical to my learning. Yeah. Shout out. Shout out. Shout out. (laughs) And so you, you were practicing speech pathologist, clinical speech pathologist for... 
Oh, well, really for 15 years before I let my license lapse, it might have even been 20, but I was self-employed for some of that in a private practice. But previous to that, I had two positions. One was at the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey in the mental health clinic, working with speech and language challenged, emotionally disturbed children and adults. And previous to that, in a community civil service hospital where I worked with preschool different kinds of children, you know, mostly children that were, they might, you might say hyperactive or on the spectrum now, but then it was developmentally different or delayed language communication types. So I had two jobs and the last one, there was across the board downsize. So a lot of people lost their jobs. And just quickly to to make the link here, that's where I was like, what do I do next? And I looked for a job, but I wanted only the high level director position because I had had a pretty good career. And those jobs were pretty much absorbed by people who stayed with them for a long time. It's like, I'll make my own job. There you go. There you go. (laughs) And it sounds like that was a key part of your journey. Yeah, it was like I was forced into it. You know, I was forced into looking Mm. for something that I wanted. I was happy with my job, but I also secretly knew like I was questioning what else is there. So I didn't want to be let go. I wasn't ready for that. You know, the rug was pulled from under me. But at the same time, I knew that that was eventually I was going to be needing something else. So I I couldn't find what I wanted. I was on unemployment for about four months. I was so shamed at that time. This is in the late 70s, early 80s. My concept, and especially from my, not coming from my family, but what I integrated from my family's values was you don't go on unemployment. In welfare thing, you're not from that cut. But whatever, I I decided to not, extend benefits and took my small pittance of pension and put it all into a corporate office space in the area. So basically, after a year, I was flat. (laughs) But I had put myself in a upscale professional building. Gotcha. And to do to do speech pathology and private practice, clinical private practice. So you were still doing the clinic, you still aiming for the clinical, but doing it under your own your own business. Exactly. I would say that pivot was not the discipline, but the paradigm. Yeah, the going of the going out on your own, the striking out on your own, the having to having to do all the things then right to make a business run. Oh, my gosh, what a paradigm shift, truly. Which I knew nothing about. I knew only about speech pathology and helping people, but nothing about marketing. I wasn't really great at, I wasn't bad, but I wasn't great at finance, budgeting. Mm -hmm. I still have an intuitive sense of budget, not an accurate sense of budget. And, you know, that was branding, marketing, sales. It it was all new. It was totally 
Wow. And I how old were newbie. you then? How, how old? I was 29. Okay. Yeah. 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 Wow. 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 And then you did that for a short amount of time, right? What well, was the flip to going from clinical work to working with people on their speeches? So I was in this corporate building and I got a knock on my door and it was someone who was a vice president of a company who was in charge of fundraising. And he asked me if I did that kind of work. Can I help him with a fundraising? raising speech. And you know, you've learned in business, you always say yes, when you're in your own business, you know, and so I said yes, like a teacher the night before ahead of their student, you know, Mm -hmm. gobbled up all the information I could and helped him out and realized that I really liked it, that I really liked the higher value. And I don't just mean the fees, I mean, the sense of achieving something short term, because when you're working with Mm. a stroke or stutter or autistic, you know, whatever, you're working for little bits of improvement over a long period of time. Right. And instead, you've got the the beginning, middle, and end of a cycle is compressed when you're working with somebody on a speech, right? Or to help get them prepped to get out in the world. And so you've got this, oh, wow, what? Yeah, another paradigm shift. Huge. So the gratification, when I said value, it's really more the gratification of like, I can make a difference really fast, you know, and get this person prepared and confident and off he goes or she goes. And wow, that's different, you know? So I like that. Yeah. But I didn't give up the speech pathology. I kept both going. And I guess at some point as the corporate or professional adult public speaking presentation increased, I stopped marketing the speech pathology. And I actually questioned at some point, what if I were to give up my CEUs and my licensure because I'm not using it anymore? And it was a hard decision because it felt like my identity was such that I was a speech pathologist. That's who I was. That's at my core. I wasn't born that way, but that's what I became. And so it was a really hard decision. It's like a big loss that you imposed upon yourself. Mm. And it took a couple of years to feel right because yeah. I was still doubting it. I just had this conversation recently about the difference between doing and being, right? And you, and sometimes we confuse being with doing. So you had your identity all wrapped up in what you were doing, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And that pivots back to the influence of my family too, particularly my dad, because doing was so important. Achieving was so important. Being first. So in order to be first, you have to do Mm -hmm. something to get recognized for, and then you're important. And so those those values became my drivers. Mm -hmm. I have to be fame, fortune first, the three Fs. Mm -hmm. Very not being, to your point, very much the, well, you could call it false self or mask or, you know, the doing part of your personality. Uh, Later, did I put it all together? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. When would you say that started to happen for you? Oh, I guess it started to happen about 20 years ago, maybe 15 to 20 years ago. I think it's cemented now. I was working on myself with a process called Speaking Circles, which is out of California, which is more about the 
personal presence and authenticity and breadth of being than about content mm-hmm. and the premise mm-hmm. that from that authenticity and beingness comes the s- success and the interest and, and the vitality of your speech. That's Lee Glickstein. I'll give him a little plug. He's out in Mill Valley, California. But it was a very influential learning process for me. It had a lot to do with eye-to-eye contact, but not just looking at, but being with. He actually called the exercise being with. And so I would say that was a pivot in terms of realizing that I'm not only what I label myself and what do I achieve. Mm -hmm. It was more of that internal focus. Yeah. Yeah. I find it interesting. Of course I do find it interesting. (laughs) that that shift started to happen to you. It sounds like when you were 50-ish. And and I think that there's something that happens in midlife where we start to look for that deeper connection to ourselves, to our authentic selves, where we may have been pursuing something previous to that, that like you said, the fame fortune first. I feel like, you know, I was certainly ambitious about theater and acting. That's all I ever wanted to do before. And in my mid thirties, I started to, I don't know, my value system started to change. I feel like my midlife, everybody seems to be different, but mine started somewhere in my mid thirties where I started to question the, that journey and that path. So it started for you around midlife. It's about midlife, I guess. I've I've always been self-improvement and psychologically, emotionally intelligent. And I worked with many therapists since I was a teenager through marriage one, marriage two, life Mm -hmm. in general. But I think on a spiritual level, that part wasn't identified until my 50s. Yeah, you know, I I feel the same way. And and I feel like like that journey that I was on, whatever spiritual journey I, I may have been on in my younger, you know, days, it was kind of like it was there. I was looking, I was searching, but I I think that there's something that only comes with years on the planet where it starts to really sink in or you really start to maybe get it. Or get yourself, or I don't know. Or lose yourself into ah. getting yourself, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So another paradigm shift was this taking on the being. And so I imagine you took that and transferred it into what you were doing with clients. I actually became certified in that process. Started promoting speaking circles through my business practice and helped a lot of people with that, especially people who were scared, fearful. This was a process that really helped confidence. For me, it wasn't as much confidence. It was more authenticity, but the combination, Mm. I I became a leader of that. And then I broke from that and integrated aspects of it into say my model of doing what I Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 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 And so you, I think that when you and I spoke last time, when you first started marketing yourself as a speech coach, a lot of what you were doing, I believe you said was tied to your expertise as a speech pathologist and what you could do for people from a clinical, like incorporating your clinical background. And then I think you said you kind of got away from that 
and now it's coming back. Yeah. So let me on target with that. You're a little off, but you're a lot on. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So when this public speaking thing and marketing myself and I got like an opportunity with a career management company, with a corporate training company. I was learning on the job. When that started to blossom, it was like, I want to put speech pathology behind me. Mm. Because when you're a clinician, you're thought of in the medical realm. And then I feared I would not be marketable in this best way as if I have that clinical identity, I needed to have more the actor or the director, or I made it up, you know, I'm the speech and presentation coach. Mm -hmm. And so I was, you know, shoving under the table, my clinical before I let it go. Now there's a turnaround because the clinical piece has value to clients who have these voice problems or these pronunciation differences that my background skill sets really address best. Mm -hmm. So a high level executive who's multilingual, who's not understood easily on the phone, my differential diagnosis clinical background is more than just impression communication assessment. You know, it has some depth of knowledge that I would say is paramedical. Mm -hmm. And so there's an integration now. It's like, I don't have to be like hiding my first career. I can embrace my first career and I can market myself, you know, as an added value type professional who can say, not only can I teach you how to speak publicly in a confident way, I can help you with your voice. I can help you with your intonation. I can change that lisp and Mm -hmm. modify that stutter because corporate big time people are people. And some of them have these nuances of speech difference or language difference that they know about and they want change around. So that's where you're on target in terms of the story. Yeah. You said something in there that I want to point out and draw out a little bit in that you said when you were trying to get away from the the pathology and, and that background and establish yourself as a speech coach, as a director, that you were making it up. And I, oh my gosh, I kind of love that. I love that because there's reinvention implicit that you decided and you put yourself forward. And I imagine that must have taken some courage to make that shift about the way you were positioning yourself, speaking about yourself, introducing yourself. Was that awkward when you first started doing it? Yes. I can remember the first networking breakfast that I went to. And I wasn't used to wearing suits in general. And now I'm wearing suits. And now I'm one of three females in a group of 50 males. Mm -hmm. Everybody's silver haired. Now I'm silver haired. But I (laughs) felt like such a newbie. And I felt like such an imposter because there was no model for me. I just said, I made it up. I'm a speech and presentation coach. And it's not like there was a certification for it or a licensure for it. It was, I'm going to do it. And when I label myself, there were speech coaches in Manhattan, usually from the theatrical 
world, but I hadn't heard speech and presentation coach in my vicinity for, I hadn't. And then I developed that as my, you know, my handle. And that's the thing. I mean, I think sometimes we stop ourselves from doing things because we don't have certifications because, you know, and sometimes you, you have to, you know, in certain industries, of course, you have to have a certification, but not in everything. And there's a lot you can do just by shifting and, and stepping into it. And again, like you're like this move that you've made recently, trusting that you're going to make it happen, you know? Yes. I'm very happy with where I landed. So every time I come back into this space, it's a positive. Now, is it perfect? No. It's further from public transportation to get to New York or to Trenton or where my peeps come from. Mm -hmm. So that's a drive. But generally speaking, I take a walk by the water, the Delaware River. It's Mm. the country. It's the cultural shift that I wanted from suburbia. It's not a language difference in terms of living in Europe, but it is a difference. This is not the me that I grew up with or had a family with or built a business with. Mm. This, you know, that was a very secure suburban environment that I could manage Mm -hmm. really well because I was used to it. And I wanted something novel. And I am now managing that feeling of now what? Like, where's the nearest grocery store? Or, you know, how do I find a dance class? It's not as easy when you're outside, you know, the mainstream. Yeah. So let's go back just a little bit to the rumblings that were within you that had you decide to make this change to get out of that comfort zone of of suburban life. So there was something I'm going to guess that was unsettling or unsettled within you that you felt a calling to challenge yourself? What would you, what would you say? Well, you remember you said how adventuresome, you you know, you alluded to the idea that I was adventuresome. Uh When I think back to high school yearbook, the want was to travel and to experience other cultures. But instead I went to college, I got married, got divorced started a business, got married, had a child, kept my business going and recreated my business time after time again. And the travel never happened for many reasons. One financial, because mm-hmm. the business was always doing okay. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. my partner didn't really want to travel. Mm-hmm. I, didn't want to be traveling alone. So, Mm -hmm. so I feel like this is a very latent truth, you know, in terms of experiencing otherness. Um, There was nothing wrong with where I was, although I did have the marital home that I bought out and it was 35 years of a big house Mm -hmm. with an office building next door in a kind of country-ish setting, but it's suburbia. It was an old farmhouse with an outbuilding that got converted and renovated into a studio. And it was a great location. And I was able to have networking events there and build my business from there. And I wanted something 
when we found this place that would allow me to be a mother at the same time and work without having to travel so much. So I actually moved my business a half an hour to this location because my business preceded this location's move. Mm -hmm. But it was, I don't know, the yesterday I was thinking about it, wondering if part of this decision had to do with there was no property settlement right away when the marriage ended. When there is, both people go out and find their way. Mm-hmm. Each person goes in a new direction. I was fortunate enough to stay kind of anchored because of the, the situation. And I just, I just felt like 13 room house and an outbuilding and a two car garage. And I've had this for so many years and all my profits have gone into home improvement and business improvement. And where's the Eileen here? So I don't know if it's a little bit related to a delayed exit from the marriage even though I made an investment in buying out. Long story, right? But I just knew it was, I would be there until I died if I didn't move. And I considered that. It's pretty easy to get around. Mm -hmm. But it's not the adventure part of me that was kind of feeling help. You know, I need to do something new. Yeah, yeah. I love that you stepped into it and that you, you took. Yeah, I do too. I do too. We'll see how the winter is in this country area. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's (laughs) well, you'll find out. I love the hills, the 40 miles an hour speed limit, the one lane Uh bridges, the one lane tunnels, the back roads, but I don't know what winter and ice and snow will do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 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 It must be gorgeous around there though. I'll send Mm. you some pictures. Yeah. That would be great. That would be great. Eileen, this has been tremendous. What a story. And I kind of feel like kind of feel like we need to have you back after a while and see uh, like get the follow-up from you because this is all pretty new you you, how long have you been in the space you're in now one month one month oh my gosh today I know I was six months anniversary thank you I will end if we're ending this with when I took this space I knew the country was pulling me I knew the winter might recluse me, Uh but Blick just sent me my order of acrylic paints and I just finished watching a YouTube on caricature and I've always dabbled in drawing. And I'd love the, I would love the adventure of really the artist emerging. I feel like clapping. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. It's like the photographer in you, right? It's it's like, I know there's the artist in me. I just haven't had the time to explore it. Oh, I'm so excited for you. I will tell you, one of the things I love about photography and one of the reasons I feel like it saved me is that all the years that I was doing theater, I I mean, I, I love 
doing theater, I love acting still. When you're an actor, you, you, you have to get permission from somebody else, unless you're producing your own work, which is a whole other thing. Um, you have to have permission when you're cast in something in order to participate in the process and your craft and in the art. And what I love about the camera is that whether or not anybody's hired me to do something, I can always pick up my camera or even my cell phone with this wonderful camera in it that's in my pocket all the time that I take on walks and I can make art whenever I want to. And I'm so excited for you to go down that journey. Thank you. So maybe those paintings will show up in my next chapter. I cannot wait for you to do that. Good for you. Good for you. Is that, so I was going to ask you what you're most excited about. Is that, would that be the thing that you're most excited about coming up or is there anything else or? Um, I'm trying to find my rhythm in my new world. So walks, and then I do some exercise online, weight Mm -hmm. training that's always been important to me, fitness. And then the art is the acquired, you know, it's, it's going beyond the portraiture drawing because I'm pretty good at that to, I, mm-hmm. I always wanted to do caricature, but I'm so exact. I'm a little bit too exact and in, in, in not free enough. Mm. Yes, I would say art is probably the next target for me, but I still need to think through this zoom based platform for my business in terms of what do I want to offer? Mm. I don't want this to Mm -hmm. die and it's quiet right now. It's quiet because I allowed myself to take a break from marketing and all that. But I, I feel like there's a need for a better balance. Here we go. I need a little more people. Mm -hmm. And, and service in, in my day-to-day. Yeah. Too much spaciousness. I'm not yet that reclusive artist. You know, so it's, it's still finding my way and, and making the balance right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, we're definitely going to have to talk again. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's so nice to have someone listen to all this stuff and get it you know, and really understand this is not about just a career. It's a lot of different elements that come together, you know, from the past and the more recent past and the unexpected and the original desire, you know, to experience more and have this not show up until you're, I don't know, next to the last inning or quarter or something, but it's happening. And I'm looking forward to whatever's next. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a lifetime, right? It's a lifetime of, of work and desire. You had kids, you had a family, you had to support. There was that sense of responsibility under everything that you were doing And now it's time for Eileen. I think that's the truth. Yeah. And the responsibility of being the oldest of seven. I mean, Mm -hmm. it starts really early. And then it just 
snowballs into what societal expectations were in my day, mm-hmm. you know, which was college and marriage and family, but business wasn't on that agenda, but that's where I came in mm-hmm. having lost a job, but I created my own. And then that was an Eileen piece, but there's still something that wasn't integrated because it was about fame, fortune, and first, mm-hmm. as well as helping people. Yeah. And I think I had to lose that orientation because it doesn't really serve, mm-hmm. you know, for me. And, and now it's like, well, what else is there? Yeah. You, maybe you know? it served when it needed to, maybe yeah. it served when you needed to support your family and when you needed to make that happen. And, and now what's going to serve is letting the adventure uh, happen. Yeah. So I'm going to Mexico in two weeks Cool for a yoga retreat and meeting my sister there from Chicago and Uh, that she created as she retired. And so I've done retreats, but not a yoga retreat in Mexico. So I'm looking forward to something new. Yeah, that's phenomenal. So you're getting your travel and your yoga and your, oh my gosh, it's so, so cool. Yeah. Oh, have a great trip. Um, We are definitely going to have to stay in touch and, uh, and get a, get an update a little further down the line. Well, thanks so much for hearing my story. I hope you have a great day. Oh, you too. All right. Well, there you have it. I want to be like Eileen when I grow up, if I ever grow up. I hope that I will have her sense of adventure and discovery when I'm her age. You know, talking to Eileen has set me to thinking about how sometimes we confuse what we do with who we are. At any point, we can take time to look at ourselves in a new way and make new choices based on the current version of ourselves and our current desires. We always have the choice to continue down a path that we chose years ago based on what was expected of us by society or our parents or circumstances that had limitations that may no longer be relevant. If you have a presentation coming up that needs some polishing or want to get a copy of Eileen's book or just find out more about her, I will have links where you can learn more about her in the show notes. You can just go to latebloomerliving.com forward slash podcast and click on the show notes for episode 86. And that reminds me, if you would like to get a hold of my free guide, Five Steps to Your Midlife Reboot, you can sign up to receive it and that'll be there in the show notes for you as well. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well. Talk soon.